Our sermon passage is from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me. It's Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. And you know, the song we just sang was written by John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. Uh, the same one who celebrated grace also is teaching us to sing about judgment. And the way he talks about it, he says it's for the building up of the Christian's courage and the warning of those who do not yet know Christ. And so let's read what Jesus himself has to say about judgment. This is God's word. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, and feed you, or thirsty, and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. You cursed into the angel fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and given to us in love. Let's pray. Our Almighty God, our gracious Father, and the just judge of the world, as we just read. Uh, Lord, Jesus says some things that are scary, that are frightening. And uh, so I pray this morning that you would show us, that, um, show us how we are loved and defended now in Christ through faith. And teach us to long for Judgment Day when rights will be wronged, when wrongs will be right, made right. And so, but Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and show us Jesus, his grace, and give me words to speak that are clear, compassionate, and true. In Jesus' name, amen. To start out, I want to uh, get you to use your sanctified imagination with me. Imagine what it would be like to come to church and we didn't, have, we didn't have projectors, right? This is back before technology. And behind the pastor every week is the same painting, the size of the wall. 
Right? And it's, it's massive. There are bodies everywhere. In the center is, is Jesus himself as the judge. Right? And, and it's, it's a clear, clear to you, especially as you, even if it's your first time, that Jesus is sending those saved by grace, they're ascending into heaven, and those who are sinners, who uh, rejected Jesus, they're being sentenced to hell. So you have people going up, you have people going down, and you have people looking at Jesus. How would you feel about church if every week you came and saw judgment behind the pastor? And I imagine if it was your first time, you're wondering, is this, how do I get through judgment day? Is this God for me? Is he safe? Is he good? I came for comfort, not judgment. Now just imagine you look a little closer at the painting. You've seen it every week. There's a victim in it. It's not just portraying uh, people being sentenced to, to heaven or to hell. It's also showing you people who've suffered here on, on earth. And so one of the persons, his name is Bartholomew, and Nathaniel, one of the apostles, and in his right hand is a knife. He's looking at Jesus with a fiery gaze, begging for justice. And in his left hand is something gruesome, what that knife was used for, his skin suit. Because history tells us that Bartholomew, one of Jesus' friends and apostles, went to India immediately after the ascension. He preached the gospel. He took the gospel of Matthew to India. And a king there had him killed and tortured gruesomely, all for Christ's sake. And the look in Bartholomew's eyes is fiery. It's like he's begging to Jesus, when will you return? When will you make this right? This is not fair. How would you feel about church if you saw these things every week? Now, I'm not making this painting up. It's actually Michelangelo's Last Judgment. Um, It's in the Sistine Chapel, and it's, it's literally on the wall behind where the priests would preach, where the sacraments would be celebrated, I mean, would you come every week to look at Jesus the judge? And it's helpful to start there because I know when we, talk, when we hear Jesus speak, it sounds like we're talking about something like a relic from the 16th century. And as Christians, we are embarrassed of this. We are afraid to talk about it with our neighbors. It's, it just sounds so strange in the modern day and age to say, this world has an expiration date, and at the end of the story, all the books will be open and Jesus will look back at the life you lived and hold you accountable. And yet, Jesus is saying it's real, justice is coming, you can't run from it, you will not be able to say in that day it's not fair. And as Christians, we're supposed to talk about it, long for it, and use it to build up our faith. And so that's what I want to do this morning, and I think what Jesus is preparing us to do is know what's going to happen, but ultimately, how do we get there as Christians to where you look and long for God's judgment to look forward to it and get to the point where you're not ashamed of it. Right, and so Jesus is going to help us do that this morning. There are, I've got six points, so it's not twice as long as the normal sermon, but we're going to cram six points in here. And the first point that we really need to hear, and, and it's just helpful to, to say out loud to one another, judgment is real. The last judgment is and has always been a a foundation to Christian teaching, to Christian doctrine. It's part of the drama. It's part of the story. 
The Apostles' Creed, one of the oldest statements of the faith, has always said, Jesus will come again. He will return to judge the living and the dead. In verse 31, Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And it's a picture of Jesus calling himself the Son of Man. It's an Old Testament picture of a judge, of everybody. It's from Daniel chapter 7. When God gives this this human being who looks like a son of man the authority in heaven on earth to judge everybody, servants from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am that guy. It comes up a lot in Matthew, but the first thing Jesus is showing you and I is judgment is real, and he now has been given the authority to judge every human being. That's where history is going. Jesus is the alpha, the beginning. He created the earth. He is the omega, the end. He is where everyone is going. It's like you live in a current, and the current's going to end at Jesus' feet when he's sitting on his throne. And so judgment is real. It's the last thing that will happen before we, as Christ's loved ones, will spend eternity in Emmanuel's land, like we just sang. It's also the last thing that will take place before the condemned Those who stand on their own good or bad deeds will be banished to hell. And I know as as we talk about this and say judgment day is real, I just want you to realize we, we need that day. We long for that day. And whether you like it or not, well, I can use C.S. Lewis's words, reason demands justice and judgment. Since you've been two or three, you have believed in Judgment Day, right? From the moment your sibling got a bigger piece of cake, what were the words that came out of your mouth? It's not fair. And where in the world does a two-year-old get an idea of what is fair? (laughs) And you look at the world, good people suffer, the crooks get richer, the poor are trapped, we say that's not fair, and it You know, if we were to sit and talk about these things, we could talk about what it is you look out on the world and say, that is not fair, that is not right, that is a right that needs to be, that is a wrong that needs to be fixed. It's Bartholomew holding the knife, looking at Jesus, saying, fix this. This is not fair. All I did is say, you're the judge, and look what happened to me. Just look at our world today. All the social justice movements, they're just screaming, Life is not fair. They're saying there is a justice out there, out there, outside of us. You believe in justice. I believe in justice. And Judgment Day is just the final fulfillment of that. Right? Because if you don't have a divine judge, where do you get that idea of fair? Right? Nature isn't fair. Right? The strong are always eating the weak. So where do you get that idea from? I mean, at some point, you have to do what Arthur Miller does in his play, After the Fall. It's in our reflection. You have to look up and say, is there a judge? And he says, for, for my whole life, I looked at my life as a series of proofs, like I, was, like I was on trial. When you're young, you prove how brave you are, or how smart, or what a good lover you are, and then a good father, and finally, how wise you are. But underlying all of that, I realized I assumed something that I was on an upward path towards a verdict, towards some kind of of verdict where I'd be justified or condemned, anything. 
And I think now my disaster began when I looked up and realized the bench was empty. No judge in sight, and all that remained was the endless argument with yourself. Pointless litigation before an empty bench. Which is another way, of course, of saying despair. See, when, when you come and Jesus says the Son of Man's coming, as human beings, there's part of us that should say, thank God justice is real. Because at some point, kids, you will experience life is not fair. And we need someone outside of us, bigger than us, stronger than us, the king, to right these wrongs. Otherwise, you're just arguing with yourself. And the one who yells the loudest wins. Judgment is real. And it's helpful to say that again, judgment is real. Jesus isn't telling you a parable. There's a metaphor in it, but this is not a parable. He's just flat out saying this is what will happen at the end. Second, judgment is real. It's also universal. It says before Jesus at his feet, all the nations will be included. They are gathered. It's not optional. It's a passive. If you're a part of the nations, if you're a human being, it says God himself, Jesus, he's going to gather you. And like a shepherd, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And this is one of the unique teachings about Christianity and one of the most frustrating things. It's just that Judgment Day is real for everyone, whether you believe it or not. All the nations, African, Asian, European, Australian, you know, those handful of people that live in Antarctica, nobody will be able to hide. And that's his point. That's been Jesus' point all along, that when Jesus comes, everyone will see it. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because they'll realize in that moment, either I was right or I was wrong. Judgment's universal. There's a haunting picture from Zephaniah, chapter 1, talking about coming judgment, where it says, God himself will search for the wicked with lamps. It's like he's going in the dark, people trying to hide with a flashlight of saying, you're not going to escape. And, he, and it's written to the complacent, the skeptics, those who laughed and say, God isn't going to do anything, good or bad. Jesus is saying here, all the nations, every single human being will be found and gathered together. It's inescapable. And so it's real it's real whether you believe it or not. This is the Christian, this is the Bible's description of real life. Um, it's, not, it's not just an individual personal preference. We believe this because this is Jesus teaching it. You know, Dorothy Sayers talks about, and one of the reasons we want to get rid of it, is we tend to take the Lion of Judah, chop off all his claws, and tame him into a house cat, fit for pale priests and pious old ladies. <laughs> and she's saying, you can't do that because Jesus' words himself is making clear this is reality. Judgment is real and universal. And you get to verse 33, it's divisive. See, Jesus says, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. And this is what the shepherd's job was. If he, it was common, you would have sheep and goats. And at the end of the day, the sheep were fine in the open field in the cold, and the goats would like to be in a warmer place, so the shepherd would separate the two, and that's the metaphor Jesus uses. And the language is here is that the sheep saved by grace will go to his right, and those 
uh, on their own merits will be on the left, the goats. It's Christians to the right, unbelievers to the left. It's those saved by grace to the right, uh, those who stand under judgment on the left. And, and the big idea is Jesus says, I myself will divide humanity into two groups. It's those who've, those his loved ones and those who've rejected his love. And I know this is another point we don't like, but right, you talk to your non-believing friends, or maybe this is you. It sounds like if we believe in, in dividing humanity in two, it means we're going to be cruel to people who don't agree with us, right? which is an, it's an understandable fear. It's what, it's what our Christian neighbor, not, sorry, it's what our non-Christian neighbors are scared of. Is that you preach hell, you mean, I hear you saying you hate me. I hear you saying that I deserve not to, I deserve less of a life than you. But that fear doesn't understand the sheep and the goats. Because look at it. Do the sheep have any idea of what's going on more so than the goats? Not at all. And there's no place for the sheep to say to the goats, I'm better than you. The sheep are just as surprised at Jesus' verdict and the, the reasons behind the verdict as the goats. Meaning the sheep are surprised by the rewards that they get as the goats are surprised by the retribution and the punishment. And the sheep don't... We as sheep know it's coming, but the point is there's no room, if you really believe what Jesus is saying, that the sheep should stand up and punish the goats here in this life. It's Jesus' parables and judgment. Go read Matthew 13. Jesus says, leave them alone until I sort this out at the end of the last day. Right. See, the only difference between us, sheep, Christians, saved by grace, and the goats, it's how they treated Jesus. That, that's, that's the standard. And what makes a sheep a sheep is the fact that we, and because of our sheepiness, we all, like sheep, have gone astray we killed the shepherd. By his wounds we are healed. And so friends, if we're going to stand on Jesus' teaching as he is the judge, there is no room for us to turn around and say, or to physically show that we are better. In fact, our non-Christian friends, because of fear, may have reasons to try harder. Jesus alone is the judge, the shepherd. He's the one who divides that's what he tells us he's going to do. Separate the sheep from the goats. And let's look closer at the verdict, right? It's uni judgment is real, it's universal, it's divisive. And here's the point, it's personal. Jesus' judgment, you see this in the two conversations here. It's the same conversation repeated with the sheep and the goats. Right? It's immensely personal. It's all about how the sheep treated Jesus and how the goats treated Jesus. And it says, come who are blessed by my Father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. It says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. And the sheep say, well, when were, when were you hungry? When did we help you? And Jesus said, what you did for the least of these, you did to me. And so it's really helpful. Do you hear how personal this is for you as, Christi as a Christian? 
says, come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. What's there to be afraid of? <laughs> Look at how loved you will be on judgment day. Jesus says, this is what your Father in heaven has planned for you. He's longed for you. He's prepared for you. He's paid the price for you, the death of his beloved son, all for the sheep. It's just like a parent. That's what we do as parents. We put money away for our kids to have a future. We call it an inheritance. That's what our father did. And the cost, of course, was Jesus. See, on Judgment Day, we as Christians, this is how personal it is, we're going to rejoice at the personal love of our father and Jesus himself. We're going to be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Hear Jesus' words, and we're going to be surprised at what Jesus remembered and noticed. Because look at the basis. The basis for judgment is primarily how you treated Jesus and how you received Jesus. The the care for the poor, the care for the hungry, the care for the sick. This is evidence of your faith, but primarily the judgment is, is your faith in Christ, your reception of Jesus. Because right, look, at, look at verse 40. Jesus says, Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Jesus inserts himself into every conversation, every handshake, every hug, every kind deed you have ever had with another Christian. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, the brothers, the least of these, is Jesus' way of just describing his disciples. Jesus claims you as his own and calls you to treat one another with the same love that he has loved you and to to interact with your fellow Christians as if they were Jesus himself, because that is true. He has unified. It's a mysterious union with Christ. So let's break this down. I want to explain this a little more, because I know when you read this, it sounds like we should all be social workers, right? We should change our jobs. We should go and be in the soup kitchens, we should care for the poor, and care about the oppressed and needy. And this is how a lot of the liberal churches, this is what they did. They stopped talking about judgment, and they started really good social programs. Because they said Jesus' judgment will be based on how well you cared for the needy, the oppressed, the stranger, the sick, the weak, the the poor, the, the widow. And according to that reading of the text, the mission of the church would be Doing good to your neighbor. Doing good to everybody. And so spend your time, they would say, not talking about judgment, but serving. And so if you want to do that, please do. Right? Jesus is not saying don't care about your non-Christian neighbors. These are good things to do. But verse 40 and 46 is saying the judgment is based on how well you care for Christians because they belong to Jesus. It's about, this is a family affair. It's about caring for Christians. It should shape the way we, the life of the church, should it not? That the holiest object, the closest thing to Jesus you will ever experience and interact with is your fellow Christian. I know you can look at your fellow Christian, look at your neighbor, right? They, they don't look like Jesus yet, but the, he's in there through faith. 
And so everyone in the entire world, according to Jesus, is going to be held accountable for how they responded to the Christians in their lives, even the non-believer. Right? There's more that can be said about judgment, but I'm going to focus on what Jesus says here. And it's all because of this beautiful union Jesus has with you as a Christian. It's what happens to you, Jesus says, happens to me. It's personal. To attack one of Jesus' sheep is to attack the shepherd. It's very similar to what we're talking about with the kids. We are made in the image of God, and to, to curse a fellow human being made in the image of God is to curse God. It's the same principle here. Jesus just makes it personal to him. And so the judgment for those who don't know Jesus, it's really interesting because it's, this is, Jesus is describing sins of omission, the apathetic, the skeptical, those who didn't pay any attention to the Christians in their lives. Good things not done. They just didn't give a rip about the Christians in their lives and the words that they spoke. And Jesus takes it personally. Right, and so if you're investigating Christianity, you're trying to figure out the gospel and these words that we use, Jesus is giving a warning. It's, it's saying, pay attention to the Christians in your lives, the words that they speak. Those who are pleading with you to, save your, to be saved from eternal judgment because they love you. Because Jesus is saying, they are there in a reason as my gift of kindness and grace to you. To talk about judgment day is an act of love. Think about it. Do you get angry when the doctor, you go to the doctor because you don't feel good and he says you have something seriously wrong with you and you must do this if you want to live? We don't stomp out of there saying, how narrow-minded, what a bigot. <laughs> Hopefully you say thank you <laughs> and listen and do what he prescribes because judgment day is it's a warning. that there is something seriously wrong with us, we are sick and we need the healing of the great physician. Jesus. And so at the very core of what you will be judged on is how you responded to the words and care and kindness of the Christians around you if you don't know him. Because Judgment Day is all about Jesus. That's the point. Maybe this will help. In the book of Acts, there was a young man who hated Christians. He thought that worshiping Jesus was evil. He thought it was immoral. He thought Jesus was ridiculous. He made it his whole mission in life to ruin the lives of Christians. And he was, he was what we would call today a religious fanatic, a religious terrorist. And one day he was riding from Jerusalem to Damascus, plotting and planning, separating parents from their children, throwing people in prison, possibly slaughtering, killing, stoning Christians violently, and all of a sudden he gets hit with a vision where Jesus comes out of nowhere in a bright light, knocks Saul, right? This is a famous story, Saul off his horse, and he hears Jesus speaking to him in Hebrew, in his own language, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the reader goes, wait a second, when does Saul ever see Jesus? He hasn't, and that's the point. He's been harassing, harming killing even, or, or at least approving of those dying as Christians. And Jesus says, what happens to Christians happens to me. 
I'm going to defend them. That's what Judgment Day is about. That's the picture. And the reason Paul, Saul was so cruel, really, is because he rejected Jesus. And his cruelty was the fruit of his unbelief. When Paul did repent, when he became a Christian, and we now know him as Paul, you know how dramatic the change was? He would say to those unbelieving, the foolish Galatians, I'm in anguish of childbirth for you. I love you like a mother loves her children. I want you to change. I want you to avoid judgment. I want you to, to stand on judgment day and hear the good news. Come into your, your inheritance prepared for you by your father. See, Paul had a complete change because he had an interaction with Jesus. Have you? See, judgment's personal because it's always about Jesus. And if you hear what Jesus is doing, the command to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself, personally, perfectly, and perpetually, Jesus just said, you know how you fulfill that? Love me. Love God by loving me personally, perfectly, perpetually, and show that by loving other Christians. Because judgment is real, universal, divisive, and personal. And then, and then we get to the fifth point. It's permanent. Verse 46, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And this is where it gets really uncomfortable because Jesus talks about hell. You know, one, one British bishop said this, said this, he doesn't like this doctrine. Religion is always, religion is always in the control and guilt-producing business. They have created the fiery place to scare the hell out of people. <laughs> he wouldn't like going to church with Michelangelo's last judgment behind him. You know what C.S. Lewis said, the famous Christian apologist? He says, There's no, I'm with him on this. There's no doctrine I would more willingly get rid of than this if it was in my power. But as the full support of Scripture, as the full support of Jesus' words, it has always been taught by Christendom, and it has the full support of reason. You can't avoid it. Jesus is saying, heaven and hell are permanent. You have one life to figure out who Jesus is, and then there's judgment. Eternal punishment or eternal rewards. And so I want to highlight this too. It's permanent because some other Christians who we would call brothers and sisters in Christ would take the idea of hell and they would say that hell is, right, Jesus used the metaphor for fire here and fire eventually burns itself out and that judgment is not eternal. It eventually, that's called annihilationism. But that's not what Jesus says here. Because if, if, if hell is not eternal and unending, how would you take Jesus seriously when he says heaven is permanent? Jesus says in verse 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Here's how to think about hell. Right? We read already that God planned for us to be in heaven because of the personal intensity of his love. God prepared hell for Satan and his angels. Hell wasn't prepared before the foundation of the world, as far as we know, according to the scriptures, for sinners. 
which is telling you something about God's patience. That he waits until the very last moment to give everybody an opportunity to repent. And he sends those who rejected God to the place where they desired, a place without God, to be in a place that he didn't originally prepare for them. I'm trying to walk carefully here, because we don't know. It doesn't say, just we don't have... Jesus prepared hell, God prepared hell for Satan and his angels. And so think about hell this way. It's not a place of literal fire. This is a metaphor. It's separation. It's division. Disintegration. And so when Jesus says, go away from me, depart from me, I never knew you, this is, this is again, it's personal language. The, the condemnation and the punishment is to be separated from the Lord of love. Permanent separation from God and from your neighbor. That's what hell is. And I know there's been books written, there'll be beer served in hell, and it, it very foolishly pictures hell as a place where you can drink beer and party and be free from us uptight religious folks who don't like to have fun. They clearly haven't read Isaiah 25, which has better wine. Oh, what Hell is the place where if you don't have the God of love, you're going to be completely alienated from your neighbor. Hell is a just sentence for our antisocial behavior where you get what your heart desires. I mean, just think about what Jesus said about anger in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you say to somebody, you fool, I wish you weren't here in anger. That's the seed of murder. And that is, that is enough of a just condemnation to send you to hell. And, and hell is just the place where our anger goes unre unrestrained. Un it's not held back. It's Lewis again. Hell is made up of people who live at infinite distance from each other. Because if you're permanently cut off from Jesus, from the Holy Spirit who pours out his love into your hearts, who binds us together. Heaven is a permanent loving union with Jesus and other people. See the contrast? I don't like this, but this is what Jesus says. So, judgment is real, it's universal, it's divisive, it's personal, and it's permanent. And lastly, this is how I want to end here, it's good news. I know that's an awkward transition. But look, if you're reading Matthew for the first time or... We have a hard time of reading this as one story because that giant number pops up, the next chapter. But Jesus says, I am the judge, the son of man, who will do all these things. You have to respond to me in faith. And how I know you've responded to me in faith is by how, just the fact that you care about the, even the weakest Christian among you. And when you get to 26.1, immediately after the bad news, or good news if you're a Christian. Right? Jesus says, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. We started with the Son of Man coming to judge. And Jesus says, that same person, me, is here to be crucified. So connect the dots. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm here to be judged. 
I did not come to the world to judge. I'm going to die naked, poor, thirsty. I'm going to be treated like an outcast. I'm going to be put in chains and treated unjustly. I'm going to go through the very worst that this world has to offer. I'm going to be crucified. The Son of Man came to be judged so that we would not be judged. I mean, even more surprising, when he talks about being crucified, being hung on a tree, he's saying, I'm going to be cursed. It's the same language that Jesus uses to condemn those at the end. Because under the law, only the disobedient, only the cursed hang from a tree. It's a, only the disobedient get that judgment. And Jesus' first words after last judgment really are telling you, I am here to protect you from God's fair and impartial and just judgment. I am here to be cursed so that you might be blessed. And this is what makes judgment good news for the Christian. Why you can long for it. Why you can love that dreadful day. Because if you believe and rest confidently that Jesus, if you just believe that Jesus went through hell, separated from God on the cross, that he was cursed so that we could be welcomed into heaven, that just sentence is removed forever. (laughs) It's permanent. Jesus came to make judgment your salvation. It's good news. So, conclusion here, judgment is permanent, personal, divisive, universal, inescapable, and real, and it's good news. And so what do you do with all this? I I would say, Christian friends, if you are hearing this here, we need to be reminded we probably don't talk about this enough. I don't talk about this enough because Jesus talked about it constantly. But what I want to encourage you to do is look at how loved you are right now because of the cross. Right. Some of you are screaming, this, that's not fair about something in your life. Jesus is promising, I will come and make that right. You have to trust him. And what, while you wait for Jesus to come to the rescue at the end, he tells you what to do. Look for the least of these. Build Christian community to the point where other people on the outside look in and say, look at how they love one another. That was Jesus' command, wasn't it, in John 13? Love one another as I have loved you. That means looking for the sick, looking for the poor, looking for somebody unjustly in prison. Look for a Christian in prison that deserves it, but come alongside them because they're family. This is a a community-wide commission. Second, if hell is real, we have to learn to talk about it and not be ashamed of it and be honest about it and do so with gentleness and respect, sure, but not be afraid of it. Uh, One guy, I think I've quoted him before, but he's an atheist named Penn Jillette, and he was deeply moved when a Christian came alongside of him to give him a Bible and warn him about Judgment Day. And afterwards, with tears in his eyes, this is what he said. You can, you can look this up on YouTube. But he says, look, I don't respect people who don't proselytize, who don't talk about hell. Because if you believe in a heaven and hell that's real and permanent, and that unbelief means you will not have eternal life, and you think it's not really worth telling somebody because it'll make it socially awkward, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody 
not to proselytize. How much do you have to hate somebody not to, to warn them? Because if there's a truck that's about to run you over and you don't believe me, at some point I just tackle you. And this is much more important than that. Third, right, if you're figuring out where you stand with Jesus this morning, wondering if he's safe, wondering if he's a God worth your worship, um, just think about this. It is normal when people judge other people. This is the world in which we live. We call it social media. <laughs> right? It's every day. And it really, it's not that surprising if there is a God and he's a creator that he would, he would judge us for not living up to his standards. We have categories for that. But what is surprising, you won't find this in any other worldview, is to find the divine cosmic judge in love willing to be judged so that you don't have to be. And you know what? If you come back, and I would encourage you to do so, every week we talk about judgment. Because every week we talk about the cross. And the cross is judgment day for the Christian. We don't have a cross literally behind us. Part of it's because we're Presbyterian. <laughs> no, but it's just saying when you come, every week we're going to talk about Jesus being judged on our behalf so that you don't have to. And it's, that's what sets you free. It's trying to call you and I to look in praise on wonder at, at God's costly love for us. And so, friends, go and learn what this means, as John Newton wrote for us. On that day we shall say, this God is mine. O gracious Savior, own me on that day as thine. Let's pray. Now, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would, um, well, you would convict us, uh, lead us to repentance at the foot of the cross to see Jesus bleeding on our behalf so that we might stand in the verdict that he earned for us which is not guilty, even though we know our sin. So we thank you for that grace and kindness. And I pray for us as a church, you would help us love one another in ways that's, uh, that surprise even us. And then you would also give us the confidence to be your faithful witnesses of Christ's death and resurrection until he comes. In Christ's name we ask, amen.